Welcome to Through the Bible. In just a moment, we'll set out for Psalm 114. But first, here's an introduction by Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, during World War II, Germany's food supply was reduced to a minimum. Bread became a scarce item. They produced a bread that was not made from grain. It was labeled ersatz bread. Some folk thought it had been made from sawdust. In their hunger, people clamored for this imitation bread. In the land of plenty in which we live, there is no scarcity of bread. Even luxury items are in good supply. We seem to have need of nothing. However, there has been a famine of spiritual bread for years. Ersatz bread has been doled out for years so that the appetites of the multitude have been adjusted to eat this bread. In fact, this imitation bread has been sweetened with the sugar of pleasing the people. Jesus is being served up today with sugar and spice and everything that is nice. But he put it another way. In John 6:32, he said, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Recently, I had an opportunity to get a look at this modern bakery that turns out plastic Twinkies for the spiritual kiddies. It has been my privilege to visit several radio stations where I was shown some of the trade journals that bombard Christian radio stations. The pressure's on them to increase their listening audience. They must yield or their ratings will go down drastically. Let me give you a quotation or two in order to let you know what is being dished up for you in the future on radio. Here was the headline, Christian Music, the Record Industry's Saving Grace. With 60 million born-again Christians in this country, anything is possible. And this was the heading of an article in a trade magazine which urged radio managers to put more contemporary music on the air, that it was the way to increase the number of listeners. The article is sickening and frightening. Here are excerpts from it. White-robed Baptist choirs banging tambourines and shouting hallelujahs, harmonizing quartets in toupees and polyester suits, sonorous Wurlitzers pumping out the Protestant top ten, blissed-out hippies strumming guitars and passing out tracks in front of X-rated theaters. Such were the prevailing stereotypes of the Christian use of music, stereotypes that have, in the past decade, been exploded by the emergence of a rapidly expanding special industry, variously dubbed gospel, contemporary gospel, contemporary Christian, or simply Jesus music. The Christian record industry has become one of the fastest-growing segments in the entire spectrum of modern music. Even George Cornell sent out a signal. He said gospel music has become big business lately, both for recording companies and the star performers on the road. Some church professionals say the output may be getting too commercial. 
a growing number of singers, composers, groups, agents, recording and sheet music firms are in the sacred music trade. Fees have escalated, with appearances in some cases reported in the five-figure range and bookings handled as an entertainment circuit. Richard D. Dinwiddie, professor of church music at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois, says the ministry of music has become a big-demand item on the modern market. Pastors, church musicians, Christian leaders are increasingly concerned about commercialism in the ministry of music. He writes in the evangelical fortnightly Christianity Today, a Jesus concert can turn a profit exceeding $200,000, he says. Now, that's the end of that quotation. Now, let me continue with our editorial. The words Christian, religion, sacred, and gospel are used generously in these articles, but no mention is made of the Bible. The Bible is kapoo. That is, it's out. Contemporary preaching goes along with the contemporary music. The Bible is not up front, even in this department. Other titles are adopted, but the Bible is left out, and new vocabulary is used, which is the slang of the marketplace. The explanation for this radical change in the format is that we must use new methods to reach this generation. This rationalization sounds strangely familiar. When I began my seminary training, the fight between fundamentalists and modernists was coming to an end. The modernists, the first name given to present-day liberals, had captured most of the denominations. Independent churches and smaller denominations began to grow. There was a period of real Bible teaching that ensued. That was the period when Bible teaching grew by leaps and bounds to meet the needs of many hungry hearts. Liberalism was bankrupt. It could not survive the Depression and the Second World War. Now there has appeared in the arena men who say that we must use modern methods to reach the people and increase the head count. Yes, that sounds familiar. And today, Jesus, and will you listen now to this very carefully, today Jesus is made a piece of merchandise to sell to people in seminars, books, radio, and TV shows. The Bible is only a prop to use as bait to catch the unwary believer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. Help us to praise and adore you as we study the Psalms together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study beginning in Psalm 114 on Through the Bible. Now, friends, we are in the section that is known as the Hallel Psalms. We've actually already looked at several of them. They're hallelujah psalms. They open like that, generally close like that. Now, we come here in Psalm 114. It's a call to praise such a God that we have been looking at in Psalm 112 and Psalm 113. We saw there that in Psalm 113, for instance, he's the creator. 
He's also the Redeemer, and he'll be the Redeemer of creation. Now, because of that, we're to praise God. And the Hallel Psalms are for that purpose of praising God. Now, we find here the experience of these people, of how God delivered them. It looks back to the Egyptian time when they became a nation. When And I'm reading now Psalm 114, verse 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language. Now, actually, this man Abraham, when he came into that land, the promised land, he was a stranger. And he was told, God told him, that his people would go down in the land of Egypt and become a nation there. And actually, this is where it begins. The nation begins in Egypt. And anti-Semitism was born in Egypt. And you have their sufferings, their hardships, their persecutions. All of that ended when God remembered his covenant and heard their cry and looked upon the children of Israel and had respect unto them. So they went forth out of Egypt. That is the way the psalm begins. This now begins the wilderness march. Judah was his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. He thinks of it now. God is speaking of the whole nation, of being a tabernacle. And God's original intention was that the entire nation of Israel be a nation of priests, not just one tribe, but the whole nation which would mean they would be priests for the world. And I think that is what you'll have in the millennium. They'll serve in the earthly temple in that day. Now we find here the sea saw it and fled. The Jordan was driven back. Now you have the crossing of the Red Sea. Then you have not only the crossing of the Red Sea, but you have also the crossing of Jordan. And in verse 5, what aileth thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest, thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back? Now, the God of creation that we saw in Psalm 113, with his omnipotent power, he rolled back the Red Sea, and he also held back the waters of Jordan. Now, this is a miracle, and I don't think that it can be explained on any other basis. But the interesting thing is, when they crossed the Red Sea. We have there his deliverance out of Egypt. That was blood on the doorpost. And when they crossed over Jordan, they were separated from the wilderness and brought into the promised land. You have here redemption in two stages. The Lord Jesus on the cross has delivered us from the penalty of sin. That's for the past. He will deliver us from the power of sin in the present, provided we meet his conditions. And then he will in the future deliver us from the presence of sin that has not been realized yet. So you have the crossing here, actually, of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan. And it sets forth this in a very wonderful way. Now we come to the 115th Psalm, and this is a great song here. They sang this in the upper room, the time of the Last Supper. Our Lord sang all these psalms. 
And we do not have the writer of this psalm given. I do not know who the writer is. And they think that it was written by someone that was celebrating the remnant's return from the Babylonian captivity. I like very much the idea that what we have here in this psalm, actually we have three stanzas, and we have the congregation singing here beginning at verse 1, and then the Levites, verses 9 through 11, and then the congregation again, 12 through 18. You may disagree with that, but be that as it may, it would seem to me it could be divided like that. Now he says here, "...not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and thy truth's sake." This is the fact that the nation Israel now is taking a very humble place, and they are now trusting God. They have not been doing that, but now you come to the millennium, and you can see that singing this during the three feasts bound to make an impression upon them. And the heathen round about them, though, were saying, Where is your God? Verse 2, Wherefore should the nations say, Where is now their God? I thought he was to deliver them. And here, because of their sin, they have been sent into captivity. Verse 3, But our God is in heaven. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now, God has done this because it's according to his will, his plan, and his purpose. And they're beginning now to accept that from God. And now he gives this apology against idolatry. Will you listen to it? It says, Their gods are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Our God is in heaven. He is the creator. He is a spirit. But their gods are gods they've made. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. Paul, you remember, called idols nothing. That's what they were. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They make their gods with all of their senses, but they don't use them. They can't use them. They have hands, but they handle not. In other words, their God cannot help them. Isaiah probably has the finest satire against idolatry you'll find in the Scripture. And he makes the distinction like this. He says, when you make a god, you go out in the woods, cut down a tree, and you shape it up, make it into the form of an idol, and you take what's left over and you make a fire. And actually, that's all that helps you. Now, the idol, you have to lug it on your back and carry it back into town. And then God says, I, the Lord, I'm the one that's carrying you. And the thought is this, does your God today carry you or are you carrying him? A great many people, the religion is a burden. And it's something they have to carry on their shoulder. Well, does God carry you or you carry God? Very important. And if you have to carry him around, then may I say to you, that's idolatry, a modern form of idolatry. And so here they were ridiculing these people. And now we have the Levites answering this in verse 9. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, 
trust in the Lord, he's their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. Now, somebody says to me today, what is the answer to atheism around us? What is the answer to materialism about us? What is the answer to all the immorality about us? What is the answer? Somebody says, well, I think I better go see the psychiatrist and lie on his couch. No, my friend, let me give you a simple answer, and it's so simple that I'm sure many of us have passed it by. Why don't you trust the Lord? Why don't you trust the Lord? In the midst of all of this today, trust the Lord. That's the answer. Rest in Him. Draw nigh to Him. Cast yourself upon Him. Oh, this is a wonderful psalm. It'll get you very close to the Lord. Now the congregation answers. Here, this is more or less of an antiphonal psalm. Verse 12, The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. And he'll bless you, friends. And he'll bless your house and your church and your community. If you only today will turn to him. And the thing that's so wonderful here is he's mindful of us. God hasn't forgotten you. Now, I don't know what your name and address is. He's got your name and address. He hasn't forgotten you. I look down today when I'm flying in a plane and I see all of these subdivisions when we come into a city and I think of the thousands of people that live down there. And who knows them? You're a number where you work. You're a number where you live. You're a number where you go to school. You're a number to your government. You're a number. But my God knows you, <laughs> and he knows your name, and he knows all about you. Trust in the Lord. Now, listen to this. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. Now, that's a categorical, dogmatic statement you either believe it or you don't believe it. And if you believe it, my, what a difference it'll make. Now, will you notice? He goes on, the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You're blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Back now, he's the creator. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of man. Apparently, God didn't intend man to live on the moon. They're more or less using his property up there. But he's given the earth to us today. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Now, while you're here on this earth, here's where you praise the Lord. Here's where it'll count. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What is it? Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. You don't mind saying that, do you? Even if you're a dignified Presbyterian or Episcopalian, you ought not to mind to praise the Lord. And friends, it won't hurt us today to do that. You know, some of us are all tied up. We got hang-ups. And one of the best things to do is just to let down and open your heart to the Lord and praise His name and talk to Him. It'll help a great many of us. Now we come to Psalm 116. And here you have a thanksgiving psalm. A man here is in distress. He calls upon God, and God hears in mercy. It's a love psalm. It's a hallel psalm. It is a simple psalm. And it speaks of the past, of the sufferings of Christ in the presence of death. 
Did you know that he sang this the night he was arrested? The day before he died, he sang this. I'd love to have heard him sing. Somebody said, I'd love to have heard him teach. I'd love to have heard him sing. And it was for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And he sang that night with great joy. And then it speaks of the future. It speaks of the deliverance of the remnant of Israel in a great tribulation period. And then it speaks of the present. It has a message for modern man, for the believer today. Now, this is what God wants you and me to know. It's a gracious word for those in distress and trouble. It'll relieve your anxiety. It'll dispel your doubts. And the Lord Jesus sang it the night before he was crucified. Now, in the first five verses, God hears. In verses 6 through 13, God helps. And in verses 14 to 19, God is holy. Will you listen to this? I love the Lord. It's a love song. I love the Lord. Have you ever told him that, that you love him? And, And I think the most important factor in the Christian life is right here. Do you love the Lord Jesus? That's it. Do you love his person? Do you love him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Is there any communication with him? By the way, have you talked to him today? Is he vital and real to you? Not phony and pious religion today. The world's tired of that. Now, aren't you tired of it? And the Scripture says we love him because he first loved us. Whom having not seen ye love. And then he said to Simon Peter, Simon, lovest thou me? And unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins... And then he says, I'm going to make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I've loved thee. And that's the church in Philadelphia. And I think that's the Bible-believing church today. And what is the basis of all this? I love the Lord. Why? He's heard me. Has God heard your prayer? Are we to pray audibly? Well, it says, God hath heard my voice. And that means to pray audibly. I like to get in the car. And ride along, talk to the Lord, best place in the world. And believe me, you need to talk to the Lord driving here in Southern California these days. Now he says in verse 3, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of Sheol got hold upon me. I found trouble in sorrow. This is the desperate need of this man. It's our Lord on the cross. He knew what he was going through. He sang it that night. The sentence of death was upon him. And actually, it's on us. He didn't have to die. Nobody took his life from him. He laid it down for you and me. You and I walk through the valley of the shadow of death all the time. Now listen to him. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. He cried out, Lord, save me. And he was heard. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. How wonderful this is. The Lord preserveth the simple. That'll include me, maybe you. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Now, if you've experienced salvation and know that God today is merciful and that God has helped you and God has saved you, you know that he's going to continue to lead you along. I was brought low, and he helped me. He's delivered my soul. This is a very wonderful section, by the way. Now, verse 13, 
here he says, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And I think that cup at the Passover passed at that time. And our Lord took that cup. And I'm not sure, but what this is the one that he said, I'll not drink this cup with you. I'll drink it anew with you in my kingdom. But he drank that cup on the cross, my beloved, for you and me. Now we come to this very last section of this psalm here. And God is holy. And that's very important to see. That's the reason he had to die for us. I'll pay my vows. Now notice this, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious was the death of Christ to God. And precious is the death of those who lay down their lives as martyrs in the great tribulation period, and many will. And I'm not sure but what we can use it today, though a man may not have lived for God, yet he's trusted him and his death is precious in his sight. How wonderful this psalm is. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Learn more about Through the Bible at ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Jesus came home, to be my home. Sin had left a crimson grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.